thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty, and we're going to have some fun today, I believe, looking at the Christian metaphysic in comparison to and is distinguished from the metaphysic we talked about last week uh, that showed up in the testimony of Judge uh, Jackson before the United States Senate when she said, I don't really know how to define what a woman is and what Roland Van Zant said in his book called The Metaphysical Foundations of American History. And one thing as I thought about last week, um, the book by Mr. Van Zant, one of the things that we have to appreciate about metaphysics is that, that it also contains within it the understanding of history. What is the nature of history? Is it meaningless? Or is it going somewhere? And if it's going somewhere, where is it going? And who decides where it's going? Well, obviously, Mr. Van Sant said it, it doesn't have any such meaning, uh, America and its history and where it's going, but such as we give it, which is exactly uh, where we are in this world, as I noted last week. Words don't reflect anything that's true Words are placeholders, linguistic concepts that we've agreed on to give meaning to what we agree that word should have meaning. So I hope that makes sense. So in other words, the word woman only has such meaning as we choose to give it. And that's what we were talking about last week. So, so this week, we're going to look at the alternative. What is the Christian metaphysic? And I think you'll find over this week and perhaps the next week or two that we don't really know much about what our Christian metaphysics is. And if we're dependent on what we hear from our pulpits, we probably never will know. Because one, that word won't be used. And secondly, it's rooted in something that we just generally don't talk about much at all anyway. So we're not going to know about it if we don't talk about it. So what is the Christian Metaphysic. Now, if you'll remember, last week I gave you a little placeholder while we talked about Roland Venzant of the passage in Acts where Paul is at Mars Hill and he's speaking to a culture that is, is very much, I would say, even identical to the culture we have today. He begins with mentioning the God who created all things and said to them, if you'll remember, I believe it's in verse 20, that it's in this God that we live and move and have our being. The issues of life, about what is life, what is the nature of our being, and motion and change versus fixedness, all of those things, he said, are to be found in God. So the first point for today in terms of our metaphysic is this. Creation is the initial act and foundation of all divine revelation, and therefore the foundation of all religious and ethical life as well. Now that statement, which I'm going to read again in just a moment, 
is from Herman Bavik, our old friend that we've spoken about and used many times before. But I want to read it again and point out something here about what he says. Creation is the initial act and foundation of all divine revelation. Let's stop right there. What is he saying? He's saying that if we don't get the importance of creation, we won't get the foundation, the point of the rest of the revelation of God. So when we divorce the history of the world and we divorce salvation from creation, we will not get a proper understanding of the rest of revelation. And then he goes on and he says, and therefore, this doctrine of creation is, he says, the foundation of all religious and ethical life as well. Do you remember last week we talked about that metaphysics precedes or is the foundation upon which we build our ethics, which means it's the foundation upon which we build our civil law. And I use the example of speaking with women about abortion, trying to get them to tell me what the thing is that we're aborting. What is its nature? And based upon what is its nature, what is it for? And then based upon my nature and what I'm for, how does that then affect how I relate to this other thing and its nature and its purpose? You see, that's metaphysics taking place in that conversation, and that determines, as Bavink says, our ethical life as well. You get your metaphysics wrong, you will get your ethics wrong. Now, I'm going to say something and just insert it here, and we'll come back to it in future episodes. But because Christianity has ignored the doctrine of creation and the concepts of metaphysics, it has divorced its ethics from its foundation and has become a religion of do this and don't do that. And no wonder it's hated by the people of our world who are asking questions of who am I and what am I for, and we just tell them do this and don't do that. When your ethics is divorced from your metaphysics, from your doctrine of creation, all you have is a list of do's and don'ts. That's all you have and it'll naturally be hated because it doesn't meet the longing of the soul to know who am I and what am I for? Why am I here? What am I doing? Okay, now let me get back to this. So we see from the very beginning then of the Bible that Christianity distinguishes itself from other religions by, and there's how Bavink puts it, construing the relation between God and the world as that between creator and his creature. If we lose the idea that we are creatures who live and move and have our being in God and never independent of God, then we will get it wrong as to who we are and what we're for and why we're in the situations in which we find ourselves, okay? Bobbitt goes on, the teaching of creation certainly offers an answer to the question of the origin of all things, yet its significance is first and foremost religious and ethical. You see, we come back to this point again. Let me read that again. The teaching of creation certainly offers an answer to the question of the origin of all things, yet its significance is first and foremost religious and ethical. In other words, it's first and foremost about God and then ethical in terms of 
how we live in the face of and before God, what is ethical for us based upon the fact that we are creations of God and certain kinds and types of creations in God's created order. So let's, let's take a moment now and, and contrast this with the dominant philosophy in our world today that I would say is materialism or pure naturalism, that there's stuff, we don't know exactly how it got here, but there is. And, and so here's what Bavik says about that. If everything is just a matter of atoms, A-T-O-M-S, since there are elements of the empirical world, they can only have empirical and not metaphysical properties. Now, what's he saying here? Well, the scientist says all we have is matter. That's what Roland Van Sant says. All we have is matter. We have stuff. Now, we can measure that stuff. We can decide how dense it is. We can decide how much it weighs. We can decide its, its size. We can um, decide its physical properties as distinct from something else, right? But how do we get from that to metaphysical properties of what is the real nature of something divorced from just the facts about them. Remember, we talked about that last week. Roland Van Zandt was saying all we have is facts, and so we have to give those facts meaning. We create the meaning. The doctrine of creation says, no, we do have facts, but God gives them their meaning. But what the, the world today does is they say all we have are these atoms, these this stuff, and somehow this stuff out of it arises things like meaning and purpose. Now, I'm going to put this in the context of transgenderism because it is a contradiction of the most profound kind. The transgender person begins with, really, a denial of creation, at least in this sense, that there's a God who has given any fixed meaning to the material things of the world. Stuff is all there is. The material world is all there is. But then, see, this is what Bavnik is saying, the transgender pulls out of this strictly material world that's necessarily devoid of any meaning, just empirical properties. Oh, you have uh, certain anatomical parts, and they're different from this other person's anatomical parts. To, to come up with meaning, which is metaphysics. But what Bavnik is saying, and what I'm saying, is mere physics stuff cannot give rise to the metaphysical, what a thing really and truly is, its nature, and therefore its purpose. So if the stuff of which we're made has no meaning, how does it come to have meaning? Well, it can only do so because the meaningless stuff that the materialist asserts, proposes, that the transgender believes in, gives itself its own meaning. Now, this is not really to deny God, although we would say that, and in a sense it is, but it's really saying that each of us is God. Transgenderism is arrogance relative to the God of the Bible of the most extreme kind. I will make me in my image that I determine. Now you've 
heard me use many times the quote from Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the 1992 abortion case that I hope is reversed this summer. But they said, look, you can't have human dignity. There can't be liberty if, if you don't have the autonomy to determine the meaning of the universe and the meaning of life and the meaning of who you are. In other words, if you can't be God, well, your life doesn't have any meaning. And that philosophy has now come home to us in spades with transgenderism. And the point here, my friends, is simply this. Something will always be God. And that God will give meaning to what exists because there is a God who does give meaning to what exists. But what we do, all of us, and the transgender is just a particular example, but all of us do it in some ways and in some areas and in some regards, is exchange the truth of God, who he is, his existence as creator and of creation, and the distinction between the two for a lie. And that's what Romans 1 is talking about about. So do you see this question of metaphysics here being played out? And so when we're over here talking about these sports cases as if there are certain biological facts, and that was the testimony that I heard last week in the Senate committee by a leading organization in the United States defending it, is that we look at body mass and muscle mass and all these particular facts, but the transgender person would say, so? What gives them any meaning? to which the Christian organization would not respond and couldn't respond and didn't even want to talk about or bring up or suggest they have meaning because God has given those disparate independent facts. That was the word uh, Van Zant used last week. Uh, the facts are all independent. I get to give them meaning. You haven't challenged my metaphysics. We're, we're on Mars Hill and we're given the wrong message. We're we're feeding into their message rather than what Paul did, which was to say, no, no, no. There's a God of creation, and it's in him we live and move and have our being. If we deny that, then, well, I guess we have to give everything meaning. You see what I'm saying? That's where we're not building rightly on the foundation which has been laid in Jesus Christ. So now we get to the nub of this issue of creation. And this, again, is what Bavik says, and it's so good. The ultimate purpose of all of creation is the glorification of God. To that end, all things are subordinate. Now, I want to stop here just a moment because people like Oprah would say, well, that makes God egotistical. But think about this. If the ultimate end of God is not the glory of God, then what God is doing falls short of the glory of God and implicates God in sin. God would not be good if, if he did not pursue that which was most perfectly good, which is encapsulated in the concept of the glory of God. I don't want a God that's falling short of the perfections of God in what he's doing. I just, I just don't. So that's really the purpose of all things. Now, I know here I'm getting a little ahead of myself by talking about purpose of things rather than what they are first, but I want to talk about this for a moment before I come back to who we are. What does it mean to be human by saying this? One of the questions 
that has existed has been why did God create? And why did he create what he created this way? Well, the only real answer to why God created is it was the will of God to create, and behind that, we really can't go any further. But as to why he created the way he did, and could this universe have been better? Did God pick this universe out of multiple possible universes? Well, here's the answer to that. Again, talking about Bobbing. This world is not a choice by God among possible worlds because we can't, as he says, posit any uncertainty or choice in God. He has all knowledge and all wisdom. So what he does is what he does. His will is fixed from eternity. Now, he says this, which is important. It's going to be important over the next couple of weeks. A creature as such can always be conceived as better, larger, or more beautiful than it actually is because a creature is contingent and capable of development and improvement. So there we see these issues that arise in the transgender sports things where our, our size, our being, our shape, our beauty, whatever it might be, those are contingent things, meaning they're not essential to our real essence of being. They're just what they are because God willed them to be so. He goes on and says, even the universe as a contingent entity can be conceived differently and better for us human beings. Do you see here this idea of a new creation, a new heaven and earth, one in which the pollution of sin has been removed that can move from the, the goodness that it was at the beginning to a state of glorification, which is exactly what Jesus did. He was sinless and he moved to a higher state of being, we could say, right? So Thomas Aquinas said this, the universe cannot be better on account of the ideal order attributed to these things by God, in whom the good of the universe consists. If some one of these things were better, the proportion of the order would be ruined, just as when one string is overplayed, the melody of the instrument is ruined. Do you see what he's saying here? That the world was made by God for a specific purpose, and all things have been given an essence according to their purpose, which is the glorification of God, to fit together in harmony. So if anything were different and made better, it would then upset that balance that God had originally created that he said, ah, this is very good. He goes on to say this, the world is good because it answers to the purpose God has set for it. It is neither the best nor the worst, but it is good because God called it so. It is good because it is serviceable not to the individual human being, but to the revelation of God's perfection. Now, that's really important here. Everything is for the glory of God. Now, he goes on and, and makes it clear that, yes, there's a sense in which it was made for us, but we were made for the glory of God. We make things about ourselves. 
So he said, God made this world serviceable to reveal God's perfections. That's Romans chapter 1. The things of God can be clearly seen if we were not fallen. And to the person who regards it as such is the revelation of God's perfections. It is also good because it makes known to him the God whom to know is eternal life. Now, next week, we're going to come back to this question of ourselves, human beings. What does this doctrine of creation mean for us in terms of who we are? What is our metaphysic, which will then determine what we are for, which will then determine how we go about doing what we do so that what we do, what we're building, has eternal, lasting significance and is not burned up, as the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I hope you'll join me for that further discussion next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.